0: Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the
1: interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time
0: to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer.
1: Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for coming along on the journey of this podcast. I know that you have a lot of choices if you're a podcast listener. I recently heard that there's approximately 2 million podcasts that have been started. Uh, Less than half of those have had a new episode in the last four months. I have a new episode twice a week. So I'm glad that you're continuing to come back if you're a regular listener or if this is your first time. Welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Today's episode, we are going to interview one of the finalists from the San Diego Angel Conference. If you're a regular listener of the show, you know that I've already interviewed four of the seven finalists from this angel funding competition that took place in March of this year in San Diego. The San Diego Angel Conference was a great organization to work with, and I had the honor to serve as the master of ceremonies for their uh, competition, which was in its third year and its second year as a virtual conference, fingers are crossed that next year we're all going to be in person for this really exciting competition where it started with like 125 companies who submitted to possibly win uh, some angel funding from them, and they narrowed it down to a finalist list of seven And from there, each of those companies presented that day. And uh, there was a winner selected and then a group of runners up who each got $100,000. The winner got $200,000. And these companies are really making waves and shaking things up in their industry. And today, we're going to talk about reusable packaging for all of those items that you have in your bathroom. But first, let me thank the sponsor of this episode. So, one of the two sponsors today, this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership team. Full disclosure, I work for Stanton Chase International. All right, so today our guest is Carrie Leslie, and what she does is she makes reusable metal containers. Think about your bathroom. All of those cosmetics and everything you have, they're all made of plastic, which means a lot of them are getting thrown away. Well, her customers use her products and they're reusable so that you get a refill container that goes in and therefore you're not creating waste. Every time you use your bathroom things like cosmetics and stuff, (laughs) that was a great way to describe it. Wasn't it Carrie? Your bathroom. That's
0: right. You've got it. That's right. Everything in your bathroom.
1: So tell us about how you started Verity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. So, um, I'm going to try to give you the Reader's Digest version, but I actually spent the first part of my career, the uh, first 15 years of my career in the medical device industry, so metal manufacturing. So really spent a lot of time bringing products from concept to market that were made out of metal. And then I took um, – in 2015, I started a natural deodorant company as a side project because I just could not find a natural deodorant that worked. I don't know if you've been down that path, but very different – and we, we actually ended up making this really awesome product that was safe for your body and the planet, and you could do a hard workout and still feel good about where you're putting your body. But we had to pour it into plastic. It was the only option. And we really scoured the market looking for sustainable containers, but everything we found at, felt like it was checking one box to, and uncheck four others, right? So I thought, gosh, there's got to be a better solution here. And, and that led us to really um, go down the rabbit hole of understanding the recycling system. And you were, you were exactly right when you were talking about how everything in your bathroom is made out of plastic. Well, only about 9% of plastic in general gets recycled. But unfortunately, most of that stuff in your bathroom does not.
1: Wow. Okay, I so did, that I didn't, I didn't realize 9% of plastic was recycled. I thought it was much higher than that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the industry term that I had learned since I got introduced is we do a lot of wish cycling where we toss everything in the recycle bin feeling better because it goes into the blue bin. But I feel real good on Mondays sh- when, I,
1: when I wheel the bin yeah. out to the curb. It's pretty full of things and, and things like my deodorant containers or, you know, hair yeah. gel containers. They're going right in the recycling. Yeah. You're telling me that those aren't being recycled.
0: Uh, well, so this is what I learned. So um, I, I actually had, had heard that statistic for the first time, probably in like 2014. I heard that. And I went to the local recycling center and I asked them, how often are our containers getting recycled? Because we had, we had purchased a monomaterial, which we thought would really make it more likely to get recycled. It was all one type of plastic. And the folks at the recycling center kind of laughed at me and were like, Oh, you and your fancy materials are like, look, I don't have a buyer for this stuff. So it's not getting recycled. And he helped, he helped to kind of uncover this whole piece of the puzzle for me, which was, there's no economic motivation to recycle these because they have to take all this plastic and they have to find a buyer. Well, virgin plastic is really inexpensive and it has really great material characteristics. So all of this stuff is going to cost a lot of money to turn it into something else. And it's recyclable. You can do it, but it just doesn't make economic sense. And that's why it's not happening. And that's why all this stuff's ending up going to landfill. And a lot of times it's going to poorly managed landfills overseas. Um, and that's how we're getting into this problem with ocean plastic. So... Um, when we went down this path and we learned that we thought, well, gosh, why wouldn't we just make all of these containers out of a material that is desirable in the recycling stream? So we asked, what is desirable? What do you have a buyer for and scrap metal, right? So they always have a buyer for scrap metal. It's extremely valuable because metals retain their material characteristics and it's much cheaper to buy scrap metal than to go and mine virgin materials, right? So there's people who want to buy it, which means they have, a way to make money, which means they invest in machinery that finds this stuff when it gets to their facility. So, um, just kind of seemed like common sense. Well, why don't we make things out of metal instead of plastic? Well, and then let's go a step further. Why do we use these things once and then toss them? Let's, let's make them out of, um, stainless steel and we can reuse them. Right. And something that I had done in medical devices, we would bring back surgical instruments in between surgery to clean and sanitize them in between surgeries. Uh, you don't make them every time. Right. So, so that's what we did. So we, my, my deodorant company, we created this reusable stainless steel deodorant container that we could bring back on a subscription model and clean these things. And then I ended up taking it to a trade show, really in a prototype phase. And what's really cool about the the natural beauty and personal care space, it's all these awesome women founders that most of them came from outside of industry and started these companies to solve their own problems. And there's this kind of sisterhood where everybody really wants to help each other. So it's not this really secretive, competitive environment. Everybody kind of walks between trade show booths. Is like, hey, that's really cool. Where did you get that? Which agency did you work with? I love your logo, right? So they, all of the other deodorant companies were coming over and saying, hey, where did you get this packaging? Um, and at the time, we, you know, we weren't a packaging company. So we said, well, yeah, we make deodorant. But, yeah, we, we also make we make our packaging. And a lot of them asked for our help. So after about 10 of those conversations, we thought, you know what? I think there's an opportunity where we can make a bigger impact on this plastics problem if we're not just making these for our own brand. Um, So I actually stepped away from the deodorant company. The deodorant company was called Noni Co. and started Verity. So we pulled together experts from metal manufacturing and a marketing team from personal care and beauty space that really understands how to make these things look beautiful and function well, and we started Verity.
1: So that is a true entrepreneur's story on so many hmm. levels. Number one is, you know, you, you started your first venture and it led to something entirely different. I mean, if I had a dollar for everybody who told me, you know, my first company was this and it, it either didn't make it or we closed it or we sold it and we moved on. But I loved the part where you said like 10 people saying, hey, can you help us with this? And all of a sudden the light bulb goes off that says a packaging company.
0: Bing, 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 That's bing, bing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, and it was really fun, right? I mean, our our jobs are really fun because we understand the frustrations that these brands are having and we've been in their shoes and we're just solving them as if they were our own problems. So we really uniquely positioned us to be a great partner.
1: So I call the show making waves at sea level and clearly you're making waves in that healthcare and beauty space because people are interested in your package. I know I can't ask you who your clients are yet because they <laughs> haven't all launched and a lot of people <laughs> aren't ready to go forward and, and, and say that they're working, you know, with you. Cause I th- imagine there's an element of surprise when they launch all these new products in these Absolutely. reusable containers.
0: You got it. Yep. So but but, we do, we have some great partners and we're really lucky and really companies of all different sizes, right? We thought we'd be working with a lot of boutique brands getting started, but big companies are ready to make this change and, and we're helping them.
1: So big brands, small boutique brands in, in this space of, of products that are going to go, as I said in the introduction, things in your bathroom. Uh, they are all looking into doing this. They're they're excited about where you're going. Explain how the packaging works.
0: Yep. So you, you kind of can choose, right? So we our ideal solution is we put people into reusable, completely reusable packaging, right? Let's make this container once. Let's use it over and over. But not every audience or every consumer is ready for that. And so we understand that we need to take, make these big dramatic changes in consumer behavior and steps. So a lot of our customers are using what we call our hybrid system where we have a reusable case and then you have a highly recyclable insert and those are made out of aluminum. So they're recyclable, just uh, curbside recyclable, just like a beverage can.
1: So let me see so, if I, let me see if I can give, give sort of an analogy. So yeah. I'm trying to think of a product that I would use. So let's call it uh, hair gel. And yeah. I, I still have a little bit of hair up here on the top of my head. So, so I buy one of these little containers that right now I'm thinking about the brand that is sitting in my in my bathroom, and it's plastic. Yeah. It has a little flip top. There's some pasty hair gel in there that I rub together in my hands. When yeah. that gets empty, I usually just throw it in the recycling bin. And you're telling me it's going to a poorly managed uh, uh, dump Most somewhere. Likely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> in in the new world, I would have a shiny very nice stainless steel metal case that has a very nice lid. And then inside of that, there would be an insert that would be filled with the sort of purple uh, hair gel that I use. And when I rub it together and put it in my hair and I run out, I take out the insert and I would either send it back to the company. If it was, if it was reusable or Mm -hmm. I would throw it into the recycling bin and somebody would say scrap metal. Yay. Let's reuse. Uh, If I send it. it back to the company because it's the reusable kind, what happens then?
0: So you get a deposit for every container that comes back to us, the
1: manufacturer.
0: And then um, we put them through a validated cleaning process. And then we sell them back to the brand.
1: So I'm not getting my same container back. I'm buying a new container that I'm putting into my stainless steel little little thing. But the one that I had cleaned and sold to somebody else. This is revolutionary. This is making waves. And it's exciting and so I can't wait to see all the big brands who are coming out saying that this is their new hmm. product line because I'm going to go, we heard about it first on making waves at sea level.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, and if you think about it, we kind of joke that we're so progressive, but, but not really because it's the milk bottle model, right? <laughs> like we're just bringing back the milk bottle model. And we've gotten so used to this um, use and dispose behavior And it's so convenient and easy that we've got to find ways to come back from that.
1: Carrie, I love that analogy. Everything old is new again. It's just the milk bottle. You're setting them out. You're getting new milk. You weren't getting the same bottles back. You were getting somebody else's bottles back with new milk in it. That is actually a great analogy. And, you know, something that I think people can get their their head around when they think about doing it this way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to take credit for the concept, but it's been done before.
1: So, so what are the biggest <laughs> challenges that you're having kind of launching and growing this company?
0: Um, well, you know what? We've been really fortunate. We've got a really great team um, that's really talented. But part of the problem is not being able to make everything we want to make right away, right? So having to really prioritize our product development pipeline and figure out who we can help this year and who we can help next year and who we can help the year after because we all have a tendency to be impatient and want to do it all right away. And I think you probably see that a lot with entrepreneurs that prioritizing and um, picking a lane is always a challenge. So I would say that's thats the toughest part. but we've got plans to basically own your entire vanity right within the next couple of years and be able to give solutions for all of the products there so you don't have to default to plastic.
1: And I guess as a middle-aged guy who doesn't use a lot of product, I've never thought about all the different types of packaging that exists in the bathroom. But I have a wife and I have two daughters and I'm running through in my mind all the different types of packaging and all the different types of products that exist. You're right. You couldn't do it all at once because it would be mathematically impossible.
0: I agreed. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of of variations that exist out there and a lot of different delivery mechanisms that need to be um, rethought, right? I mean, plastic can do some really incredible things. It's really easy. You can squeeze it. You can't can't squeeze stainless steel. You can't squeeze metal. You've got that. Yeah, that's the truth. Um, But it's just, it's, it's really inexpensive and you can have, you know, 50 components in this one little container. Well, it just doesn't make sense. So if you're using more expensive materials, you have to really simplify and rethink how all these things work.
1: So let's talk about the fundraising adventure that you've been on. I'm sure that you've raised money from other sources other than this competition where you and I met, but let's start with the San Diego Angel Conference. How did you stumble upon them? I know you're based in San Diego. And what was that whole process like for you?
0: So I was actually introduced by um, a a few of the people in the angel community. And I'm trying to think, gosh, you first introduced me, but there are a few folks who introduced me um, last year. And it was right when the pandemic was starting and they said, Oh, Carrie, cause we had just kind of and they said, Carrie, you would have been perfect for the angel conference. And I thought, Oh gosh, bad timing, but you know, it's not going to work now. Well then we started fundraising and then the pandemic hit. So we were still fundraising. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the fundraising took um, a, so you're saying your, your fundraising <laughs> took a little longer than, than intended in 2020.
0: It did. It did. But you know what we actually did, Tom, is we, we stopped, we paused on fundraising. So we already have customers. We already had our foundational team. We needed to fundraise to grow faster and to be able to better support them with and, and to support more products. So um, we first started fundraising. We raised a little bit of money. And then when COVID hit, we realized that everybody was really scared. Right. And so our personal networks were just pretty much closed off. Like everybody was not at a place where they were interested in investing in startup companies right now. And they had no idea what was going to happen. So that meant, you know, we had to really just start prospecting and calling lots of strangers and it was going to take a long time to build these relationships. Um, And I know it's funny, they call it a friends and family round. I'm like, I didn't have any friends or family that were going (laughs) to be able to support me in this (laughs) endeavor at the time. Our, um, and especially with the timing of the pandemic and everyone being so unsure. So I, we just decided as a team just to pause and go get more customers and to fund the business through revenue. And then we would come back to the round. So we did that. And we um, picked back up in the fall, got aligned with some really incredible uh, angel groups and VCs that are very focused on investing in female founders, um, particularly manufacturing. So we found our right partners. Um, and then right towards the end of our round is when the angel conference was happening. So the conference actually closed our round nice. for us.
1: Nice. Do you share how awesome. much money you raised or is that private information?
0: Um, that's private information. That's totally fine. Now, some, yeah. some people share, <laughs> some
1: people do not.
0: Yeah, but it was, um, it was really awesome to be a part of that whole community and to see how much energy and encouragement of entrepreneurs in the standing out angel group. I'm sure you've seen that cause you've been there for a few years, but wow, um, when somebody first told me to apply, I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's kind of a long shot. There's over a hundred companies. Like the chances you make it through, it's going to be so much work, but just the relationships that we were able to forge by being a part of the process would have been worth it. Like, Prizes aside, it's actually a really incredible experience to go through as a founder.
1: So this was actually my first year involved with the San Diego Angel Conference, but I, I fell in love with them. I interviewed them for the podcast as they were kind of launching, getting companies oh, cool. involved and stuff like that. And we had such okay. a good time with the with the interview. They found out that one of the things I do is I host conferences as the MC. And so they, they brought me in to do that. But I'm familiar with angel funding, not because I have any experience with a startup, but I've worked in Austin, Texas for 30 years and it's such an entrepreneurial community. I have a lot of friends who've been involved with uh, the Central Texas uh, uh, CETAN, the Central Texas Angel Network. Uh, I've known some friends who've been involved with that and have received money through that. So I understand sort of how the process works. And you're right, typically these people who get involved with angel funding, I mean, they're there not just because they think, oh, we're going to make a lot of money because most companies don't. They're there because they want to contribute and they want to help these these entrepreneurs get the guidance and the connections and everything else they need. So these communities all over the country who help entrepreneurs find resources and money uh, are fantastic.
0: They're amazing. They're just, it's really awesome to see. And, and a lot of them have a subject matter expertise in a specific area. And when they all come together, you get this incredible group of investors who can really help you grow your business. So,
1: so Carrie I have pretty couple, awesome. I have a couple more questions for you. But first, yeah. I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So, so this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in their industry, like Carrie Leslie. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So you've been in this entrepreneur game for a while since you started your deodorant, your natural deodorant company. What do you love yeah. about the life of an mm. entrepreneur?
0: I just love solving problems. And I feel like I, I I was fortunate even when I worked for a large company that there was um, encouragement to be an entrepreneur. And you're able to really create, kind of identify problems within your sector and go solve them and build the teams to do it. So I feel like that was great practice even before stepping into entrepreneurship. Um, but it's just the energy and the excitement and the passion of the team and being able, I mean, as, as a small team, you always have so much enthusiasm in the culture and it's contagious. You can't help but be really excited to go to work every day.
1: So if somebody has an idea and they want to start a company, what advice do you have for somebody who, who's bubbling up with ideas like you've obviously had? Mm.
0: Just gotta get started. Get a prototype. Get it out there. Get cu- the talk to your customers and get their feedback. Don't try to create it in a vacuum and then work on it for three years and take it to market because there's gonna be something wrong with it. You're gonna learn so much more. Um, I love that saying. If you're not a little bit embarrassed of the first product that you launched, then you launched two. Too late. Too late. late. Yeah. <laughs> too late? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm doing a great job. But I <laughs> yeah. think uh, I think it's the truth, right? You're always there's always gonna be problems with the first iteration of what you create. So you just gotta get it out there and get some feedback from your customers and understand what they want. All
1: right. So advice for people who need to raise money. You've obviously just completed and just closed your round. It took you a little longer because we had that little pesky world mm-hmm. pandemic thing, but what advice would you have for somebody who's never done this before? They've they've maybe they've got their their product going, they've got their company launched but they're like I don't even know, do I go to a VC? Do I go to an angel? Do I go to mom? What mm. do I do? I think
0: I really wanted somebody to give me this advice when I first started, like give me the playbook of how is it done? And everybody gave me the same advice that I'm going to give. It's different for everybody. And it's the worst (laughs) advice to hear. But I think the one thing I would have done is I would have prospect much better. I thought of it just as a purely a numbers game. And I just talked to as many people as I could, which I also think there's value in because you have to practice. And it's probably good that you're not talking to your dream investor within your first 50 pitches because you learn a lot through those first 50. You get a lot of questions that you've never thought of before and you've got to improve your presentation. But try to prospect and really look for people who are maybe it's a numbers game at front to see at the practice and then look at prospecting after number 50 to be really laser focused on our Does this investor align with my values and the type of product that I have? And can they add value? Because investors don't want to invest in you. Typically, we just talked about the angels that have all this great experience. They want to invest in companies that they understand. They can't help you to be successful if they don't understand your business. And I didn't understand that. Right. I was talking a lot of times to people from the medical device community because that was my network. And they're like, kind of like, I, I don't really understand <laughs> packaging or cosmetics, Carrie. I can't really help you very much. So it's, it wasn't a right fit for them. So for me, it was I had to branch out and find this whole other group of new friends that understood my industry and the need for it. So I, I think prospecting and really understanding who your target investor is is important.
1: So how important? I know the answer. How important is it for an entrepreneur like you who's going to raise money, whether it's through, you know, angels through VCs? or going public someday, how important are your public speaking skills if you're going to go out trying to raise money?
0: Oh gosh, they're so important. But no matter, I think you can also have a lot of public speaking experience and pitching your baby is different, right? So you even got to get through that, right? You have to get ready to get a lot of feedback and just The the general, like foundational public speaking knowledge is important. So if you don't have a lot of experience in that area, then I think that's also good advice, Tom, to maybe get some help there. But then on top of that, it's just getting really comfortable in your speech and understanding your business. And pitching actually helps you to formulate that more by getting out there and saying the story over and over again. Every time you walk away and go, huh, that's a good point. That should be a part of us and what we do and how we solve the problem.
1: Well, and it's interesting to me because having lived in Austin, Texas, I've been around a lot of entrepreneurs who've been raising money at a lot of different levels and I've done some speech coaching for executives who have to go and do these types of of pitches. And one of the things is is that a lot of them never dreamed when they started their business that they would have to be a skilled public speaker. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways you use public speaking skills, but this one becomes very important. And, you know, as I look at both everybody who presented in all seven companies did such a great job. But as, as you look at it, that was one of the things that you don't think you're being judged on. But in reality, when you look at who the finalists were and things like that, clearly there was somebody of people who could clearly and concisely tell their story in a way that was compelling. And so I always tell everybody that you know long before you become an entrepreneur, you should join a Toastmasters club because someday you're going to have to pitch somebody for something, and if it's the first time you've stood up in front of a group to give a speech, uh, that's going to be a rude awakening. The other oh, thing,
0: absolutely, yeah. that's a good point, Tom. The
1: the other thing is having coached some of these people, it you hit it on the head. They're selling their, you know, they're they're talking about their baby, and mm-hmm. they don't want feedback. So even when they're meeting with someone like <laughs> me as a speech coach. And you say, well, you know, I wouldn't say it that way. They're like, well, you don't know my company. It's you like, don't what? get it, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like, no, that's the point. I have to be able to understand it when you explain it to me.
1: <laughs> so, any other advice for people on the, on the fundraising trail?
0: Um, well, I think Tommy brought up a great point, which is something um, I've been fortunate that I had to do a lot of public speaking and prior. But yeah, if that's new to you, it's really important. But even for people who have a lot of experience, just get, get in front of your friends, your trusted coworkers from before you started the company, people who are going to be critical, but you can take their feedback from and really go through it. Because as soon as you're really comfortable, and I think that's part of it, you have to be really comfortable for the story. If you're worried about what kind of questions the investor is going to ask you, then you're still in that learning phase of presenting. Once you can, get to the point where you're so comfortable. You're like, I don't, they can throw anything at me. I know the answer. That's when you start closing. That's when you start getting text written.
1: Absolutely. So if let's, we'll go into the way future, practice, machine.
0: practice. practice. Yeah.
1: yeah. We'll go into the way future machine. It's 10 years from now. And Verity is a major supplier to every cosmetics brand and every bathroom stuff thing on the vanity. What do you want people to know about Verity?
0: I, I, want to make sure that our company stays true to being an educational partner to our clients. So instead of selling, we just are educating them on sharing all the knowledge that we've learned about the recycling process and how we work with these materials. um, And just being a true partner to make sure that we don't lose that.
1: And if people want to learn more about Verity, where do they go?
0: Veritycase.com. So V-E-R-I-T-Y-C-A-S-E.
1: Awesome. Well, Carrie Leslie, thank you for being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. You're the perfect example of who we look for to have on this show because you are certainly making waves in the world of packaging and in the beauty industry. So thank you for being here.
0: Thanks so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure.
1: And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the show? I started the show as my own access to really smart people who were doing cool things. And we've been able to share this now for almost seven years, over 600 and 56, seven episodes with people where we can all learn from great entrepreneurs who are doing good things and making waves. So go on out there, make waves in your industry, make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall. Cause as I learned along the way, if your ladder's in the wrong place, it doesn't matter how high you climb, it can suck. So don't do that. And while you're out there doing this, have some fun, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the making waves at sea level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at
0: TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger.